0: Ha ha ha! Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Kalee Smith. I hate when that
1: happens right at the beginning of know the show. I I'm dying. <laughs> I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, we will hopefully not choke. We will discover a group that is volunteering their time and expertise to help those falling through the cracks of our troubled medical system. We'll chat with Director Alana Steinhauer of Volunteers in Medicine, who will soon be opening up a second location in Pittsfield.
0: I wish that they could help me at the times when my body tries to go back to being a fish, like yeah. just then. We can't resist the pull of black holes. Super massive or not, but they were, were they first, or did the rest of space somehow make them. Mr. Universe, Hampshire College's Salman Hamid gives us a brief look at new ideas about the creation of black holes.
1: But first, where can you find
0: 11 schools coming together for one goal? On the ice, and in this case, at the Mass Mutual Center.
2: you cold Uh, I'm Kelly
1: Keating. Where are you from? I'm from Longmeadow. We just walked in the back door of the Mass Mutual Center. You tipped us off to something kind of amazing that happens here at the Mass Mutual Center. What what are we here to do?
2: Uh, You're here to watch the Longmeadow girls ice hockey team. But the name is a little bit misleading because it's a cooperative team. So the team is made up of girls from all over the valley. We're talking East Longmeadow, Wilbraham, South Hadley, Westfield, like we've got kids from all over the valley. Of One course.
1: of which is yours.
2: One of which is mine, <laughs> yes. we are not
0: just here <laughs> to like watch the team and, and support in solidarity because they're there. But. Yeah,
2: no, this is for this is for the girls and, and the coaching staff because they're Coach Vanderman and Coach Welch and all the other dads who um, help out. It's a pretty awesome, awesome program.
1: We were hoping to come ice skate here with the team. I probably haven't been on ice skates in 30 years. I
0: definitely have not been on ice skates in at least 30 years. That
1: would have been fun, but somebody thought it was a liability. Yeah, we My t- ankles also thought that would be a liability. <laughs> My ankles were on the fence about it.
2: Yeah, I, I think we were a little worried we don't we didn't want you to get hurt and not be able to do the awesome work that you do on the fab 413. Oh, so thanks. you know
0: that's, that's very kind of you yeah. there's an elevator in the building it's ada <laughs> compliant yeah. If somebody hurts themselves we'll yeah, probably we... still be able to get to the show <laughs>
1: yeah well let's go check out what they're up to
2: yeah come on in um i think you might have to sign excuse me um do Monty and calice do we need to sign in here in no. order to no no we're I mean, okay we're,
1: we're just... above the rules just... let's head up i've never been in the bowels of the mass mutual center
2: yeah, me either. Yeah, it's pretty awesome that the girls get to train here, this, they get to practice here. Oh, that's yeah.
1: cool, this is like the home of the Thunderbirds, which are a huge yeah. big deal, people love them, yeah. and I know AIC plays here.
2: Yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty pretty, great. The games are all played over at Smeed usually. Can I drive the Zamboni? Aww,
1: <laughs> uh, so Italian, it feels like I'm destined to do it.
2: Oh, is this right. them coming out? Here they, there's Coach, Van- that's Coach Vanderman. Look at
1: how she skates.
2: Look at, I know, here they come. It's pretty impressive. The girls are like pretty great skaters for sure. What's your daughter's name? Piper. What got Piper into hockey? Well, I did, I played a little hockey growing up and I played a little bit in club and when I was in graduate school. And so, you know, like when you do learn to skate with your kids, the ice hockey programming and in, in whatever community you live in, it's just like easy picking, right? To like get kids to start learning how to play hockey.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We, uh, we have twins, so both our son and our daughter play ice hockey for Longmeadow. It's, it's a great game.
1: What people don't know about Khalees Smith is that she is an expert in UMass hockey as she runs the board for the radio broadcast of all of UMass's hockey. And they're so, so fun to and be has watch. been doing it since they were the national champions
0: Before so, they were the national, I've been, I've been doing the board work for them since they sucked how are they doing now about they're about? doing okay this is a weird season last season was really disappointing this season is kind of getting back to where Carvel wanted the team to be last
1: year should Wait. we call him Carvel because it has to do with <laughs> ice no like Fudgy the Whale? So give Dad what he really wants for Father's Day. Fudgy the Whale. That's a whale of a cake for a whale of a day. I'm Cookie Puss. No, he's Coach Carve. Coach Carve. Because he weird. carves up the ice. Yeah, like I, Cookie Puss and I, Fudgy the Whale. I've never been this close to the ice in any hockey setting. Hey, Coach.
2: Hey, Coach. Hi, I want to introduce Hi. you. This is Hi, Monty. I'm Monty. And Melissa. this is Khalees. Khalees, nice, nice to meet me you. Too.
1: Coach Melissa Vanderman, where are you from? Springfield, Massachusetts. That's nice. Yeah. We're, we're here on the ice mm-hmm. where your wonderful Springfield team plays. Yes. How long have you been coaching these young women playing hockey?
3: Uh, I've coached this team now for eight years. That's the same length of
0: length of time that I've been doing hockey for UMass. So <laughs>
3: great, right. I love it.
1: So tell us about your relationship to hockey. What got you into hockey?
3: I have been playing since I was six years old. I was very fortunate to play at the levels that I played at. I did play in college and uh, I want to make sure that I kind of give back to the sport. It gave me a lot in life. It was, you know, something that got me to the levels that I was at. It got me a very good education, um, which in turn got me a pretty good job. I feel fortunate for that. And I think hockey had a lot to do with that. Ooh. What position did you play? Defense.
1: It's under the auspices of Long Meadow hockey, but it's regional as we've Correct. come to find out. Who do they play against?
3: So we play a lot against a lot of teams out of Eastern Mass. Most locally, Pope Francis has their own team, so they're the only Western, other Western Mass team. And Pope Francis is in Springfield, uh, it's the old Cathedral High School. How long has Long Meadow had a, a women's team? If this is my eighth year, then it's been 10 years. It was actually under Cathedral, um, but then when Cathedral got hit by the tornado, Yay. it kind of set everything back and Long Meadow, ended up taking it over as the administrator. So when you played, you played under Cathedral? No, I no? did not play. This did not exist when I played. Oh. Uh, this did. This wasn't even a thought in anybody's brain when I played. I so played when you were
1: playing at six years old in Springfield, were you just playing on the local ice with friends.
3: Boys teams. Oh we yeah. Played with boys. Oh. Yeah. So I did that until high school. Um, I played at Central High School because back then Central had a team. I played there for two years and then I ended up going to prep school for two years and then I went to college from there.
1: Is this? usually the first experience these girls have had with hockey or are they coming from other programs up into this
3: program? oh no these these girls have been playing same as me since they were younger and are
1: they usually having to do what you did which is play on boys teams or are there, are there is there more opportunity for all girls teams
3: more opportunity for girls teams which is great you know because they get they get the opportunity to learn a different game and they get the opportunity to to play a high level with girls where they're going to be you know when i was younger the girls teams weren't as high of a level are those club teams, or are they through the school? <laughs> because um, like club teams. Yeah, the only thing the school does is this one, pretty much. Whoa. Honestly, this team is a lot in a way, like a club, because I have so many schools.
1: How's the team doing this year?
3: We're doing well. We're on the up. So uh, we um, we've won six in a row wow, right now, so we're eight and two. Um, and we're just building on that. We're just we're just looking to build and keep going. Um, we have six games left. And I was gonna say, uh, does this
1: go go all the way into the summer like the Bruins do? And you're like, <laughs> hockey still didn't the ice melt
3: yet? Yeah, no, so the uh, well the season ends February break week, so our last game is February twenty second. Um, and then the playoffs will start. So it mimics more of the college schedule than like the professional schedule. Yes.
1: How many girls have you seen go on from this program that's under the auspices of Long Meadow, with practices here at the Mass Mutual Center in Springfield, to continue to play hockey like you did in college? You
3: know, I do think that prep school is still somewhere that if you want to get, you know, quote unquote, recruited in college to go, you know, that might be where you need to go. But we have gotten so much exposure, I think, in the past few years. But a lot of these kids, will hope there's a club team and go to school where they want to build a career from you know i have i want to go to the school because of engineering and if there's a club team i'll play on it but i i want to be an engineer and is, and i'd love to play hockey too so Mm -hmm. i think that's great you know it's it's academics first as we know but i've had three girls go division three and i had a couple that could go division one but again chose chose what school they wanted to go to and and played club and we're completely happy with that
1: since this is not under Longmeadow Meadow High School. Like if you play for the Long Meadow High School football team, you may be able to get out of class and stuff like that because they know they're the game. It's part of the school system. Yeah. Is it hard for these girls coming from all over the place to work those schedules? They get special permission or how does it work?
3: Their ADs are great. So I, I try to contact all the ADs so they know who I am.
1: Athletic director. <laughs> and Odomine. Yeah.
3: My, uh, my AD at Long Meadow, he contacts them all, gives them the schedule. I. I've become pretty good friends with some of the ADs. You know, sometimes I get a text message, hey, so and so says she's gotta get out at eleven forty-five for your game Wednesday. What time does your bus leave? And I'm like, I'm like, she can leave at twelve <laughs> thirty.
1: <laughs> nice try. Tell though. Her to
3: go to so what is your team doing well? What do you want them to work on? Right now, our main thing is our communication. They don't realize the impact that communication has on the speed of the game. We've really been working on communication. They're lucky I haven't made them sprint yet, but... Uh, <laughs> but uh, the communication piece, and it's and it's all the gelling, you know, yeah. it's it's always a struggle to get that to happen because this is 11 different schools of girls. The only gelling time and bonding time they have is at this rink. So, you know, they don't go to school together, they don't eat lunch together, they're not in class together. To get them to learn each other in such a short period of time is, is the struggle. So. We're, we're getting there, everyone's comfortable, everybody trusts each other, each other right now,
2: so now it's, it's elevating the game.
1: Kelly, tell us what this program has meant for your daughter.
2: Oh my gosh, like we're, we're not originally from this area, we relocated here, you know Piper had already been a part of a club team and we were looking for an area that still supported girls hockey and you know that she could play in high school in public high school. This program has just been exactly what we had hoped. You know, she she's gotten to play hockey at the high school level, and in a really competitive program, like, I think Coach Vandermen is being a little modest in terms of her success with this program and building- Tell this. us the
1: real scoop, then.
4: <laughs>
2: well, all I can say is that, you know, like, just recently, like, our public cooperative team just beat Hope. Our girls are competing with, like, you know, schools from the eastern side of the state and having great success, and here even in the in the valley. So, um,
0: did you get to play the teams that the folks that were on the clubs that she was on before? I
2: don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe once we uh, once we get into the state tournament, yeah. right, Coach? You Got it.
3: <laughs> we'll be Coach, there. Don't worry. We'll we're, be there. I was yeah. I play. So, where are you in the rankings then with this sixth win streak? The last we we saw, we were in between seventh and eighth in the state. So. That's a good spot to be for upsets. So the top 32 go. So there's ah. there's over 50 in each division. So I mean there's combined about uh, over 100 girls teams from high schools from public high schools in the state. Yeah, so, that's way
1: more than I would have thought. Yeah. yeah.
3: So 32 go. So the top
1: 16 host. Where does the big championship take place? The final C. D. Garden. Wow. That that must be an incredible experience to play you know, Where the Bruins play. Have you experienced that?
3: I have never played there myself. I've played at Warrior Arena, their practice rink, but I've right. never played there. But these guys have definitely never played there. So that's the goal. The yeah. The goal. Is the sheet the same size? Uh, this is an AHL sheet, so that one's a little bit bigger. Yeah.
1: yeah. Look at Khalees knowing all this inside <laughs> inside hockey lingo. I can't even call it inside baseball. The sheet, so that means the ice? <laughs> the ice, yeah. Yes. Okay. Because not everybody's okay. rink is the same size. It's
0: a thing that sometimes throws teams off. So you get into a, a rink that's like a little bit smaller, a little bit wider than what you're used to. You have different bounces, like the puck acts a little differently. So like it's interesting to see the difference between the plays on different sheets of ice.
3: Some have AHL, NHL sheets, which are very, very similar. But then there's Olympic sheets, which are and then your standard, regular kind of state rinks are smaller. So and then you got the
1: high thread count ones, which are just <laughs> yeah. so the
3: comfiest,
1: comfy. The the comfiest. Should we bother try to bother a player, or what do you think? They're
3: in the middle of drills.
0: They
1: probably want to get out of it. They want to get. They want to catch the bus yeah, early. I mean, Maybe they want not to. That's the
3: mentality of this team. They're they're into it. I no, they it, yeah. and they
1: look. I mean, amazing. They yeah. skate amazing. Yeah. It looks fierce. We are like six inches away from the ice, yeah. and I, I'm fearful that a puck is gonna come crank <laughs> me in the face. No, they've, they've been pretty like good at controlling and keeping it low. Calise and I were joking before that I was glad that my children decided not to play hockey because it's so expensive. Yeah. Um, theater is also expensive. My kids do theater, but we don't have to buy all this gear. They just <laughs> right. borrow a costume from their whatever theater department. <laughs> yeah but is that, I'm sure that's a barrier for anybody who wants to play hockey, but is there ways to overcome that barrier locally for some of these girls, or no?
3: Absolutely, I mean, there's there's a lot of places around that have used equipment. When you're a hockey player, if there's a hockey community. Someone knows someone who knows someone who knows someone, and everyone's always willing to give up their equipment. You know, oh, my kid's eight now. Oh, your kid's six? I got stuff that'll fit them. You know, and it's not, give me a hundred bucks, it's, here you go, and then give it to the next kid, and give it to the next kid until it can't be worn anymore. It's not cheap, I'll tell you. I mean, Ugh. my dad tells me when I was younger he had to take out credit card checks a couple times because, you know, it was expensive, and he was a single dad. So he said, I couldn't tell you no, so I had to figure it out.
0: This is more insider, you're running bo- drills on both goals at the same time? That's awesome.
2: I I think we could steal like maybe like one of your captains or? Yeah, I'll be grab Avery.
3: Uh, Avery actually goes to Longmeadow, but she's a two year captain, so. Cool. Avery.
1: You're in trouble now, Avery, you going to the penalty box. <laughs> 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 this is my first time,
3: this is a radio show. So and it won't be the you. last. Oh, I want to you for we, we won't
1: take, keep you too long, what's your name?
3: Avery Ireland. Where are you from? Longmeadow, Mass. How
1: long have you been playing hockey?
3: Since I was like four years old.
1: Wow, how old are you now?
3: 18. Tell us not. about this
1: team and what this team means to you.
3: Playing here for the last four years has been really fun. I've definitely made a lot of close friends. Everyone feels like family and I love coming every day seeing everyone because we don't get to see each other at school So we all go to different schools. So it's good. Love it.
1: What position
0: do you play?
3: I play forward. Right
1: on. I'm imagining that your time with this team is ending soon. Are you going to yeah. play hockey in the future or do you have any plans?
3: Yeah, so I'm going to Worcester State for hockey. Oh wow, cool. Yeah. Wow. Undecided.
1: So you're decided about hockey, and that's yep. good.
5: That's all I have.
1: I don't think that that's the case. I'm, I'm
0: pretty sure almost everybody on this team would probably say otherwise, including your coach. Probably. But. It's okay. At this moment, it's all hockey. But also, you're at practice, so we understand. Yeah,
1: you can get back out there on the ice. We don't need to keep you any longer.
2: Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks no problem. for, yeah, well, thanks thanks for, for your taking a break. Thank you. Sure.
1: Coach, I may be speaking for Kalise out of turn but I would like to make the uh, Longmeadow High School girls hockey team the official hockey team of the fabulous 413 radio show. All right. Um, So where do we go to follow your progress? Don't
3: tell (laughs) Weirfield.
1: UMass has enough fans. (laughs) They don't don't need us.
3: Uh, So we do have a a Facebook page, Longmeadow Girls Ice Hockey. Uh, We do have an Instagram game updates get posted, game scores get posted. Uh,
1: we're gonna follow it through the sure. end of the season. Like we're it. gonna root for you to go to the garden.
3: That's, that's we
1: love it. I have to call the garden, because it garden. violates my that's my upbringing to call it nice. anything else. Right. Coach Vanderman, thanks for taking so much time with us.
3: Absolutely, thank you guys for coming, I appreciate it. Oh, no problem, this is wicked fun. I never get to
0: actually see the games, because right. I'm, I'm in the booth. And it's just so much better to actually see it when it happens always. Yeah. And Kelly, thank you for putting
1: this oh, on
2: our yeah, radar. Yeah, no, thank you for coming. And thanks for like, being interested in, in girls hockey here in the Valley
0: and maybe have our loyalty back when they have a women's team instead of making their women go to Amherst to play. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Shade thrown. Um, the Long Meadow High School girls' t- ice hockey team is currently in the middle of f- raising funds to offset some of those costs we mentioned, and there's a few days left there in that campaign. We'll post information about that in the show notes if you're interested in helping them out.
1: And they have a game on Wednesday, so here's hoping their winning streak continues. Up next, helping the uninsured stay healthy in the Berkshires with Ilana Steinhauer, a volunteer in medicine.
0: You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 and
2: EPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, offering solar options, energy security, and solutions for the local community. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. This segment
1: was originally suggested by a listener. Dr. William Harbison writes, Hello there. I enjoy your program. Thanks. Oh, yeah, thanks, William. I would suggest that you contact Volunteers in Medicine in Great Barrington. It's a volunteer organization that has been around for 15 years and gives free medical care to uninsured patients. The vast majority are immigrants.
0: They are opening a new office in Pittsfield in January. They do amazing work medical, dental, behavioral health, social services, women's health, and many more services. They now serve over 2,000 patients. I'm a retired physician from Springfield who volunteers at VIM. I would suggest you contact Ilana Steinhauer, who is the executive director and nurse practitioner extraordinaire.
1: Well, look who we have here. (laughs) Ilana Steinhauer is the executive director of Volunteers in Medicine in Great Barrington and soon to be Pittsfield. Do you call it VIM?
4: We call it VIM. Yes, we do. That's fine with
1: that. VIM and Vigor. Uh, Along with your standard executive director responsibilities, you also act as director of medical services, coordinating patient care across all medical service areas, as well as providing acute and chronic care my shoulder hurts, so we're going to talk about that later. (laughs) (laughs) In 2016, Ilana helped launch BASIC, Berkshire
0: Area Support of the Immigrant Community, a group who works to ensure Berkshire County is a place the immigrant community can thrive. She's also a board member of Southern Berkshire Rural Health Network and Berkshire Taconic Eagle Fund. Welcome, Ilana. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. I didn't realize when we asked you to join that you're a nurse practitioner. That makes me so happy. I feel like it is a position that is underutilized and over needed in a lot of communities that rely on clinic care as opposed to like medical center care Um, so thank you for bridging that gap thank you
1: and nurses oftentimes really know what's going on in the lay of the land with the patients and are less involved in the administrative bureaucracy Uh, and so I my sister's a nurse so I always uh, yeah soft spot in my heart I've come from a family of nurses actually
0: and for years my PCP was a nurse practitioner so again like I have a soft spot and a lot of respect for them in general that Okay, that's enough of us being like, oh,
4: you're a nurse practitioner. We, we, we love nurses, love too. Nurses <laughs> are the best.
1: And it, you are volunteers in medicine. It's not just a, a clever name, Vim, but you have 170 clinical and uh, non-clinical volunteers. That is a lot of wrangling, a lot of people with high levels of training that I'm sure weren't cheap to access, volunteering their time. Talk about who you're working with as far as your, your staff.
4: Yeah. So thank you so much for that great introduction. I'm so excited (laughs) to be here. So we are a volunteer-based organization with a small staff. So with the expansion, about 20 staff members, and as you said, you know, close to 170 um, volunteers. And those volunteers are everyone from someone like Bill, who was a cardiologist in Springfield for his career. We have some GI docs from Springfield. We have emergency room providers. We have nurses. We have medical assistants, dentists. But then we also, have people volunteering as interpreters. We have people who are at our front desk. We have people who drive patients. We have people who work to ensure that the patients have their needs. And we are an organization that understands, because it is run by a nurse practitioner, <laughs> that in order to really, really Allow somebody to live a healthy life, they need to be at the center of that care. And by mobilizing volunteers with a small group of staff, we have really transformed how we provide health care within our organization. And not only are we allowing our patients to achieve health, but we also create a space for volunteers where they can not only be a community together, where they can be mentoring, but where they also are able to take what they have and work within our community.
0: Your care seems to skew a lot towards immigrants who definitely don't know how to navigate our very broken for lack of better and nuanced term system, but does your practice also serve the underinsured who has access to your care?
4: So we specifically only take care of people who are ineligible for health insurance at this time. Um, When we started, it was a little bit different, but over the years as insurance has, you know, there's been more resources. We have universal health care in Massachusetts. We're really focusing on that population that slips through the cracks, which is the population that is ineligible for health insurance. I think what's really important to kind of understand is the system is broken, right? We know the healthcare system is broken. There are a lot of amazing people who work within the healthcare system, but it's not a system that works. And for people who are ineligible for health insurance, and primarily we are taking care of the immigrant population, navigating within that system is complicated. So we've started to flip the healthcare system around. And with that patient at the center, yes, we focus on the clinical, but we understand that 80% of what is going to make somebody healthy and you know how they define their own health is important as well, is the social determinants. So everything else that impacts their health, from housing to education to income to legal. And so for us when a patient comes in their first appointment is not even with the clinical provider. Their first appointment is actually with our receptionists and during that first visit, they not only get to understand who we are and what our responsibility is to them, but also you know, what their responsibility is as a patient. And then they immediately go and they meet with a community health worker, someone from the community that we're serving, to find out what are your most pressing needs and how can we make sure we start to address those. That allows the patient to immediately gain a system of trust and starts to decrease that stress level that they've come in with. And then we go into that clinical, and that's where Bill comes in and our other providers, and there we have those wraparound services that we talked about. The patient is then actually managed by these two care teams together, our community health worker team, our care management team, and our clinical team. And those care teams wrap around that patient to really help them achieve their goals for health.
1: It's amazing. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the kind of healthcare that you would dream about that everybody would have access to. And the bill that you referenced is Dr. William Harbison, who uh, wrote and suggested that we get in touch with you, Ilana Steinhauer, who is the executive director of Volunteers in Medicine. And that's a phenomenal load to bear with people that don't have access to traditional healthcare, health insurance, or whatever. And the, uh, the numbers of people that you're working with is incredible. I have some of your impact data 1,729 patients that you're working with. Uh, 464 new patients in 2023, that's more than a new patient a day. Over uh, close to 8,000 patient visits last year, uh, 360 kids in the database. Uh, A lot of it is volunteers, as we mentioned, but how is this getting paid for with the amount, the volume that you're providing for people in the Berkshires in Great Barrington now, but also soon to be in Pittsfield?
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So from the beginning, this has always been a community led effort. This is grassroots at its finest. You know, it started small in 2004 and has grown sustainably since. Mm -hmm because of our model, because we use volunteers to provide many of the services, we are able to keep that cost per patient down. So our budget this year was about $1.6 million. So if you think about that, if we had 1,700 active patients, that's less than $1,000 per patient to provide all of those services. That's less than a premium payment. That's less than one ER visit. And so as we grow, as we expand into Pittsfield, yes, our costs are going to go up, but they won't go up exponentially because we are mobilizing volunteers to help provide those services.
1: Should you be? Is this a good way to do it? I mean, it seems to be working for you, but it seems like I'm sure that Dr. Bill, who suggested you, gets paid for some of the work that he does. Is this a labor of love or is this people like knowing that we're so broken that they feel they must volunteer as opposed to fixing the problem so they don't have to volunteer.
4: Yeah, so the original concept of volunteers in medicine came out of Hilton Head, and it was a similar community as the Berkshires where there were many retired volunteers. Oh, ah. and the majority of the people who are volunteering are retired. So they are people who've had their whole career in whatever industry, you know, whatever discipline that they're coming from. And they are now um, spending part of their retirement volunteering. Mm-hmm. We call it the encore career. People are retiring now, you know, 65, 70, and people are living very long. And the idea of having a place to continue to be active and, um, you know, continue to be involved, some people say it's the best career they've ever had. Nice. We also have a lot of educational opportunities and a lot of opportunities for people who are trying to understand what they want to do. You know, if they're a high school student, if they're someone who's just graduated college, we have training opportunities. We have students who come from STEM for dental hygiene and dental assisting. We have um, dental students. We have residents. We have a lot of Elms College nursing students that will come out, and they'll continue their clinical work with us at Volunteers in Medicine.
1: Soon we'll be talking black holes. Were they there at the beginning of time, or... Did they come later? We'll hear some theories about the creation of the cosmic phenomenon with Mr. Universe Salman Hamid. But next, more about the expansion and nuances of offering medicine
0: to the immigrant community of the southern Berkshires with director and nurse practitioner Ilana Steinauer
1: of Volunteers in Medicine. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM.
4: We work really hard to ensure that we start to break down silos that exist within our community. Because if you have everybody working independently, it's not gonna be good for the patients as well. So we are constantly working on building relationships and um, making sure that we are a place that can continue to invest in the future of healthcare for those who are eligible for insurance as well as ineligible.
1: We're speaking with Alana Steinhauer, who is the Executive Director of Volunteers in Medicine in Great Barrington and soon to be, very soon, in uh, Pittsfield. The volunteers that come to you, do you receive more through networking or through people
0: discovering what you what you do, having moved into the area, needing something to do, and feeling like they have more to give? Do people discover you or you discover them?
4: I think it's a mix. I think, you know, a show like this, hopefully there's people listening who are like, oh, I'd like to volunteer. Um, so contact us. We are always looking for volunteers. How do you handle
0: pharmaceutical through VIM?
4: Massachusetts is extremely lucky because we have pharmacies that have funding through programs that exist at the hospitals, at some of the community health centers that allow pharmaceuticals to be extremely inexpensive if they're um, within the formulary, which most medications are. And then we also have a relationship with Big Y and our patients have a discount there.
0: Mm, Very cool. That is cool. What spurred your move Or branching out into Pittsfield?
4: Yeah, I think you can see, you know, by the numbers that we are seeing a lot of new patients every year. For the past five years, our numbers have increased dramatically. We've had um, over a 15% increase yearly. In the Berkshires, the only growing population right now is the immigrant population. And what we've also seen with that growing population is that people are moving more towards the Pittsfield area. There's more housing, there are jobs. And so there is also no transportation in the Berkshires that's really effective. And, you know, I think we've been looking at how do you transportation in the Berkshires. It's really hard. And when we really talk about equity and health equity, we have to increase access. And so by opening a second location, we are literally bringing it to the doorsteps of over 50% of our patients at this point.
1: You mentioned that you have an over a million dollar budget. You've got these 170 volunteers. Are you getting any state or federal funding to add to that budget?
4: Yeah, there is times when we um, do receive some, you know, small grants from the state, but generally it is all grassroots funding and foundations and grants. And the majority are individual donors. But I mean,
1: it's crazy to me because if you were not working with these, let's say, 1,729 patients, they go to the emergency room. That's right. And that is a huge cost that the taxpayers end up footing one way or the other. So is there movement afoot to maybe to get a a line item in a budget, in a state budget, in a federal budget to support this kind of heavily volunteer dependent, but extremely essential form of health care?
4: Yeah. Our local representatives and our national um, representatives are extremely engaged in what we are doing in this expansion. We do have a potential earmark with Elizabeth Warren, But with the budget doing what it's doing, Mm -hmm. um, we're not that (laughs) optimistic. And so, and you know, we are working closely with our local reps to understand what is some sustainable funding. We actually have the um, commissioner of the Department of Public Health who is going to come and visit our organization in February. We've met with um, Secretary Kate Walsh, who runs the Executive Office of Health and Human Services. I think, you know, what people are seeing is that this model needs to be applied beyond VIM. People talk about equity, you know, we've been talking about it for years and years, and we're still not seeing shifts happening the way that they can. Sometimes people think that in order to make the shifts, we need to make these huge systemic changes all at once. But what Vim shows is that there are very, very doable ways to start to make this shift, especially within healthcare. If we start to, you know, think about who does the patient need to spend the most time with? It's not really actually usually the doctor or the nurse practitioner. We're great at what we do, and that's clinical care, and we need to be able to form a relationship with that patient, but it's much more valuable for a patient to have a care manager who helps them after that visit to navigate all those other systems that are broken and that are going to take time to get fixed.
1: And Vim, as we keep mentioning, is volunteers in medicine, and we're speaking with the executive director, Alana Steinhauer, and you were mentioning, you know, those other factors, food security, which is something we've talked a lot about on this show, safe housing, employment, child care, all of those type of things. Massachusetts has a pretty good healthcare system for people that can't get on Blue Cross Blue Shield or some of the big insurance companies that have the tallest buildings in every city in America. Strange. I wonder how they got the money for that. Yeah, let's not. But there were uh, <laughs> recently, there have been changes to Mass Health that have booted a bunch of people off of that program. How has that impacted the work that you're doing at Volunteers in Medicine in Great Barrington?
4: Yeah, so I'm not an expert in Mass MassHealth. Um, we have actually not seen an uptick from that. Uh-huh. And, you know, I don't know if it's that people were booted. It's that people had to re-enroll. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when they had to re-enroll, that process requires navigation. Mm -hmm. We are so lucky in the Berkshires, we have offices called Advocacy for Access, and they are trusted, trusted offices within our community that help ensure people are always insured if they are eligible for it. We work closely with them. So if somebody came in you know, over the past few months who we thought was going to be at risk for losing their mass health and they thought they didn't have it or they did, we work directly with this Advocacy for Access office. They also, did a lot of promotion. They reached out to, you know, people that they knew personally that they thought were at risk and really worked with them to make sure they did not lose coverage.
0: Are there areas of care that you haven't had a chance to stretch your budget to cover that you would like to, especially with this move and expansion?
4: Yeah. So I'll do one little plug or a few plugs. So I am actually on the board of the Public Health Institute of Western Mass um, as well. And we're working with um, through a grant from Health New England and the Public Health Institute. We are working on understanding legal as a social determinant of health. Many, many of our clients who are coming are new arriving immigrants that we've all heard everything on the news, and we know that the process of what is happening at our border is very complicated and confusing, and nobody knows exactly what to do once you've entered into our country. And so for us, when we see people coming into the organization, into the clinic, their number one stress oftentimes is their legal status. And so we are exploring in a rural area. So not in a city where there's the big skyscrapers and all the big (laughs) law firms and the big, you know, legal schools and law schools. You know, how do you really, really address the legal needs of the immigrant population and how do you integrate that into a healthcare setting? So these models exist, but they don't exist as much in a rural setting and they don't exist in the Berkshires right now. They don't exist um, in Springfield area. And so understanding the role of the clinical providers to um, identify pathways, to identify how to support the clients, but also what does it look like to have legal um, support right inside the healthcare center?
1: Seems like such important work that you're doing, and thank you for it. If people have been inspired by the stories that you're telling about volunteers in medicine, what are your biggest needs and how do they get in touch with you?
4: Come check us out on our website, vimberkshires.org, we are currently, with our expansion into Pittsfield, we are always looking for clinical volunteers, so nurse practitioners, nurses, physicians. Primary... And you can
1: do it telehealth too, right? You don't always have to go. So our doctor who suggested us to you, Dr. William Harbison, doesn't always have to drive necessarily to Great Barrington. Yeah, so we have
4: meet. opportunities for telehealth. Um, we have we need behavioral health providers especially, and that is a great one that we can do via telehealth, mm-hmm. and that's a much more flexible um, schedule. We're looking for interpreters always. That's mm. you know interpreters can be anywhere in the world, that is definitely something we are looking for, specifically Portuguese, Spanish, French, Haitian, Creole. We are looking for people who just want to be and engage in the community. So, you know, people who are bilingual, who'd like to sit at our front desk and help welcome people. We are looking for drivers, you know. So visit our website, vimberkshires.org, and there's a tab for volunteering, or you can check us out. And of course, we are always looking for donations.
1: (laughs) Well, a huge thank you again to Dr. William Harbison, who is one of of the volunteers of volunteers in medicine the uh, over 170 that keep this organization that's serving 1,729 patients in the Berkshires healthy and thank you to Ilana Steinhauer who is the executive director uh, of volunteers in medicine who's joined us today thank you so much
4: thank you so much this was fun
1: next time we're going to come to visit you in the yeah, Berkshires. That yeah that would be great Yeah. Oops. Up next, supermassive black holes, black hole babies, and more theories on their creation with Mr. Universe, Dr. Salman Hamid.
0: You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NAPM.
5: To boldly go where no man has gone before.
1: Back at the Amherst kitchen table of Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe, for some kitchen table astronomy. And speaking of the kitchen, we've got a chicken egg situation when it comes to the formation of our galaxies and the supermassive
5: black holes within most of them. Right, so we have, Monty, talked a lot about the supermassive black holes that exist at the centers of pretty much all galaxies, Mm -hmm. including ours. The nougaty center of the Milky Way candy bar. (laughs) That's right. And uh, and in fact, uh, we had recently talked about a supermassive black hole image of the event horizon from umass mm-hmm. telescope as well uh, of a galaxy m87 but the big question is how did these black holes supermassive black holes so how did they get formed these can be in the range of a few million times the mass of our sun to tens of billion times the mass of our sun and they are at the center of most galaxies and the question is did the galaxies formed first And then the black holes right in the center because the galaxies had denser regions in the center. Or, there were these supermassive black holes as seeds around which galaxies formed. And hence, the chicken and egg issue. But unlike... Which we still haven't solved officially yet. So how are we going to solve this black hole chicken and egg issue? I think if you put a chicken or an egg, billions of light years from here, <laughs> I think astronomers will figure out a way on how to test it, <laughs> what came first. And that's exactly what they did here. So the issue is that normally black holes that we know of, the formation mechanism is that you have these big stars, stars that are much bigger than our sun, five, 10 times bigger than our sun, when they die, they turn into a black hole. Mm-hmm. And so you can even have a much bigger stars, but you can form black holes about five to a hundred times the mass of our sun. As you can calculate, that's still a long way to go to make these supermassive black hole that could be millions or billions of times the mass of our sun. And so that is, has been the puzzle, and now it may have been potentially resolved. So is it a chicken? Or is it an egg? (laughs) It's a supermassive black hole. (laughs) No, so it looks like there may be another way to form black holes.
1: Besides the death of a star.
5: If you are going to grow uh, to a supermassive black hole, you will need a lot of stars to die as black holes and they would keep on growing. But you also have a limit to how much growth of a black hole can happen. I mean, there are physical limits as well, but also it takes time for that many stars to exist, that many stars to die, in order to grow a supermassive black hole. So if you are looking at a galaxy early in the universe, and I'm talking about a few hundred million years after the Big Bang, so that's a lot of the James Webb Space Telescope, it has been detecting galaxies around that time. So you would expect at that time, Galaxies with supermassive black holes, supermassive black holes to be relatively smaller in size because you wouldn't have had enough time to form many stars for them to die. Mm -hmm. So there was a test to that. And some recently, um, a paper came out, I think in in December, that detected a particular galaxy. And there is a whole other thing. This, uh, This galaxy is called UHZ1. And it is about 13.2 billion light years away, meaning to say uh, it existed about less than a 500 million years after the Big Bang. So this particular galaxy is very young. Or and, very old, depending on how or you or want to look it, at depending it. Depending on <laughs> how, how, how you look at it, absolutely. And the way they found it, there is a foreground galaxy cluster, uh, which is called Pandora's Cluster. It's its uh, nickname. And again, UMass astronomers have also worked on this uh, cluster. The light from this cluster of galaxies, which is a few billion light years away, can lens faraway galaxies. So, th- so because of gravity, gravity can bend light, it can actually act as a magnifying glass. And so astronomers can look at these clusters and see, are we seeing light from faraway galaxies that has been magnified? So that's amazing. We're
1: using galaxies as telescopes with our telescopes to see even further out, into the
5: universe right so i this was a side note because you know because i think that is just insane <laughs> that we figured it out to use galaxy clusters to uh, as telescopes as magnifying glasses but within it those magnified galaxies is this one uhz1 and astronomers looked at uh, through chandra x-ray telescope and they found that there is a lot of x-ray emission coming out which actually tells you whether there is a black hole or not. Because again, the material around black holes get heated up before getting into inside the event horizon. And so you can actually get a lot of X-ray emissions in that context. And they knew that this this galaxy is far away because James Webb Space Telescope had seen this magnified version. There is a galaxy there. And now Chandra X-ray Telescope saw there is a lot of X-ray emission coming from. And when they looked at Well, how many stars are in this galaxy from James Webb Telescope? And they found that, well, around roughly 40 million times the mass of our sun. So it's a small, smallish galaxy, which you would expect because it's early in the universe, because it hasn't grown up yet. Mm -hmm. But when they looked at how big this supermassive black hole is, it's almost similar size in terms of mass. There are a lot of uncertainties, but it's like 10 to 100 million times the mass of our sun. And that does not happen because all the supermassive black holes that exist, including in our galaxy and in M87, those are much smaller compared to the number of stars in the galaxy. Those are like about a thousandth. If you look at just the mass of it, I mean, sure, it's called supermassive uh, black hole, but compared to the number of stars that are in the galaxy, which is in hundreds of billions, you don't have that much mass in there. And so here is a case in UHZ1 where the mass of the supermassive black hole is almost comparable to the mass of all the stars that exist at that time. And that is about a few hundred million years, 500 million years after the Big Bang. So there is no way that you can grow this black hole from stars because there haven't been enough stars in this galaxy to grow to this much supermassive mass. Is this leading astronomers to believe that the egg of
1: the black hole comes first and then brings the stars around it? And if so, what
5: causes the egg? What causes the black hole? Right, so interestingly, in 2017, uh, there was another paper which theoretically predicted the formation of these kind of black holes directly from the collapse of the gas that is forming the galaxy. And so, so everything's
1: tumultuous after the big bang. things right. are trying to figure themselves out and a collapse of this gas
5: forms potentially these early supermassive black holes. Right, so you have galaxies form like that too, like collapses of these things. And it turns out that you can also have these supermassive black holes form directly from the collapse of gas at the centers of galaxies. So you do not need, so in some sense, you are creating a large seed around which the galaxy is being formed, rather than a small seed of a black hole the size of a star. Mm-hmm. Here, because of gas, you start off with a black hole or the black hole seed, which is like you know a few million times the mass of our sun. And that was predicted from theoretical models. And in fact, they called it outsized black hole. And this galaxy, this type of UHC1, they now have given it a name, OBG. Old dirty bastard.
1: <laughs> no. Oh,
5: so B.G. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, original, I guess, B. Gangster. But anyway, uh, uh, it is um, over massive black hole galaxy, and what that means is, as it says, astronomers are pretty good at hey, let's call it the way you see it. Let's okay? call it a large millimeter telescope. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, what that means is that you have a galaxy which has a much more massive black hole than you would expect and that was predicted that was the theoretical prediction that if you have these black holes forming from a different mechanism than just the death of stars then you would have early on in the universe some of these galaxies where the black holes have already formed whereas the rest of the galaxy has not grown yet i think this is a really cool way of thinking of how science progresses. You have this question, we have talked about this many times, and you go like, well, yeah, I mean, here is a puzzle. And of course there is an answer to it, but can we find out? And then new instruments come out. So James Webb Space Telescope is crucial in detecting that particular galaxy from which we can measure how much mass is there in stars. You can do that. Chandra X-ray Telescope that went about 15 years ago uh, up in space that can actually detect X-rays. And you have theoretical models that can predict, well, if it happened like this, then you should be able to find a galaxy that has a much bigger black hole at the center than you can form from stars. And voila, problem gets resolved. Of course, there are still uncertainties. This is the first galaxy like this, or first OBG that has been uh, detected. And there is one potential issue that can come in, and that is the measuring the exact distance to that galaxy. Because as I mentioned, sort of like this is so far away that this galaxy light started when the universe was only 500 million years old. But maybe we may be making a mistake in measuring distance. So people are actually uh, going to test out there are other ways to measure distance more accurately. But rest of it, here is a way to form these crazy objects in the universe, black holes, not from the death of stars, but from direct collapse of gas into a black hole. Science is amazing because
1: A, we're using a telescope to use a galaxy to look at a farther away galaxy to learn about a thing that is mind blowing black holes that were only theoretical a 100 years ago when Einstein was like, I think black holes could exist, but they probably don't. But comes up with that theory, technology advances, is able to actually, using UMass telescopes even, to take an image of what surrounds a black hole to prove Einstein's theory a 100 years later. It's kind of amazing.
5: And 100 years ago, we didn't even know galaxies exist because there was a big debate whether Is it just the Milky Way, the whole universe, or these fuzzy little patches that we see are those, what they called at that time, island universes, like ours own, but farther away. And so that debate happened in the 1920s. And so to come from there, and now we are talking about these galaxies, like 13 billion light years away. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. And these questions being resolved by little people on a tiny little planet are going around Milky Way Galaxy with a few hundred billion stars and our sun just being one of them in the outskirts of the galaxy. And we figured it out. I think, you know, kudos to us. We do a lot of terrible things. We keep on doing it. But, you know, sometimes, you know, credit where credit is due. I think we are doing pretty good. So we think it's the egg though, right? The egg, the egg <laughs> came first after all this. Uh, y- yes, the uh, yes. Actually, that is true. The egg came first. With chickens too, or no? No, uh, chickens grew up later. (laughs)
1: Although we talk to Mr. Universe every week, both Ilana Steinhauer from Volunteers in Medicine and the Longmeadow High School girls hockey team today were suggested by listeners. Because we're also listening to you. Don't make it creepy.
0: But for real, we love listener suggestions. Keep them coming. We may not get to them all, but we do love reading about the things that you love in the area and then sometimes getting to find out about it ourselves.
1: In fact, we had a listener, Daniel Idol, email us mid-show that his daughter plays on, UMass women's team. Kalisa's worked with UMass hockey for eight years, and she nor I had any idea that UMass has a women's hockey team.
0: Which led us down a little bit of a rat a hole because the team isn't through the athletics department, although they are a part of the American Collegiate Hockey Association, so they've had to make their own way. They are student-run. And to that end, they too are
1: raising money to fund their season because they need tickets to go places. We'll figure out more about this in the future, but at the moment, they have six more games you can check out at the Mullen Center, including this very weekend. Fun times for sure. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.